Hello and welcome back to another edition of A Trip Down Vicarage Road, the Watford podcast which aims to speak to former players, coaches and managers about their time with the Hornets. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name's Bradley Hayden, a freelance sports journalist, but most importantly, a massive Watford fan for over the last 10 years. Thanks for all those who tuned into our recent podcast with John Eustace, which was a couple of months ago now, so I really apologise for the, for the lack of episodes since as we tried to set up other interviews with people willing to come on. So in the meantime, I hope you had a great Christmas and New Year spent with your loved ones at home. But I'm pleased to say I'm back with a new episode and this week I'm joined by a winger who made 40 appearances for the Hornets, scoring seven times, including a stunning goal in the playoff final versus Bolton in 1999 after joining from Carlisle United the previous summer. If I've not given too much away, I'm of course talking about Nick Wright, who's synonymous with that win over Bolton, having scored one of the, the greatest goals that Wembley has surely ever seen. So on this week's episode, we'll talk about Graham Taylor, who Nick worked with at Watford, and just a couple of days after those powerful tributes to Graham at the weekend of a 0-0 draw with Spurs, the, the powerful flag, t- the scarf tributes rather, uh, in what would have been the third anniversary of Graham's death. We'll also talk about how Nick joined Watford. Of course, we have to bring up that goal against Bolton. And after that after that goal against Bolton, Nick, in his own words, went from hero to zero after a couple of really, really difficult years through injury, which ultimately forced him to retire prematurely. So we'll talk about the difficult times for Nick after that, after that goal against Bolton. Sit down and tune in to my latest podcast with Nick Wright. So, joined by Nick Wright over the phone here, obviously synonymous with that uh, that win at Wembley and the goal at Wembley uh, uh, up against Bolton. Uh, but before we touch on your, your career at, uh, at Watford, Nick, I just wanted to, to get up to speed what you're up to at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not in football. Um, I haven't been for a while now, so um, I look after a learning and development team with Dixon's car phone, so... Um, it's, it's, it's been interesting because quite a lot of the skills I learned from sort of the great coaches I worked with have been really helpful with my career at the moment with certainly with sort of man management but with coaching and development skills so it's not football but I enjoy it and it's um, there's lots of different aspects to the role so um, I'm enjoying life after football. And when you look back at your time at Watford, um, would it be fair to say that there's a little bit of a, a bittersweet time for you, given that you got promoted to the club and everything that happened in the playoff final as well, but it was also the club where you, you ended your career through for injury as well? Yeah, um, when I end up writing my book, it's going to be entitled From Hero to Zero. Um, so that, 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 was, that was the way uh, my my time at Watford when I I had the move from Carlisle um, started off well played throughout that um, promotion season which culminated in the playoffs and the Wembley game and the goal at Wembley so everything was fantastic we got a, a brilliant morale it was a great place to be at, at the time we got a really good bunch of uh, of guys in the team in the dressing room not only in the first 11 but the whole squad. Um, it was a really, really great place to be part of, and um, we weren't quite sure what we were capable of. Capable of. Um, unfortunately, um, I, I, amongst with other, a number of others, um, 
got injured very early on um, following the Wembley game and we never really found out the true potential of the team. Um, mm. It was impacted so much by injury. Um, and yeah, following the injury, that was a really tough time. Um, it's a tough time when you're watching the team go and play in the Premier League at some fantastic places, winning at Anfield and you're not able to contribute. And at the time, I wasn't quite sure the extent of the injury. However, um, over a period of time, it became apparent that my knee wasn't responding to either the operations or the treatment. And I was really struggling just to get back to the level you need to play professional football. Um, the club fantastic with me. They gave me the time to um, have the rehabilitation. I had three operations whilst I was at the club. I've had two more since um, to try and get the knee back to, to be able to play professional football. But unfortunately, I couldn't. Um, it was a really, that was a really testing time. Um, I was probably in, well, I was in very good physical condition. I was doing a running session, gym session, doing ball work every day. But unfortunately, it just, the knee just wouldn't respond. So, mm. um, there's there's a fine line between being physically fit and being professionally <laughs> professionally fit for football. So um, I just wasn't able to get there. So mm. yeah, that that was a tough time. Um, making the decision to retire wasn't that tough because I'd had the tough time for the three years prior. Um, however, it's it doesn't take away that um, I had an incredible time at Watford, which say culminated in the. Um, living a dream, um, scoring at Wembley in the playoff final was some like I'd always dreamed of scoring at Wembley in a cup final, and for that to be realised in May '99 was fantastic. And w- when you moved to Watford, um, wh- what did you know about the club when when, when you heard of their interest? Um, the interest um, came. We we played with Carlisle at Watford. Carlisle was struggling um, at the bottom of the league. Watford were about to get promotion to the championship, and um, we outplayed Watford at Watford. Although we we got beaten. Yeah. I'm not just saying that. Alex Bainbridge, good friend, was goal for Watford that night. Got man of the match in a two nil victory for Watford. So it shows that the struggling Carlisle team did something right that night. Um, mm. <laughs> I knew that um, Graham had sort of seen something in me as a player because for the first time in my career, the second half of the game, um, I, I was unmarked um, as a young player. That doesn't really happen. You, you get people who try to kick you a bit, but he'd actually put Steve Palmer following me around the pitch everywhere I went. And it, it, it was a really strange feeling. So for that to happen, I knew the manager must have thought something about me, whether it was a danger or whatever. But uh, what was really interesting, when we left the pitch following the 2-0 defeat, um, Graham Taylor was stood outside the away dressing room, sitting the players of the sitting the Carlisle players and saying, well played, and how we didn't deserve to lose the game, which was <laughs> yeah, a testament to the man. In the summer, um, I, I was notified that there was an interest from Watford. I was obviously keen to, to speak to speak to the club um, when I went to speak to the manager it became really apparent he wasn't just interested in signing a player he was interested in the person and um, 
that became more apparent when I came to the club, the type of per- people and personalities that he'd built his team with. Um, so he was, he was asking me sort of other things outside football, that type of thing, just trying to get to know me. Um, he made no promises other than he said, if you deserve to be playing in my team, you will be. And that was enough. I was confident in my ability to sort of demonstrate that so I would get into his team. You mentioned there about Graham Taylor and tomorrow we're speaking ahead of the, the game against Watford and Spurs, but tomorrow the club are going to be paying tribute to Graham and what would have been the third anniversary since his, his sad passing as well. How much of an impact did Graham have on you as a person? Um, I think as a person and a player, I think, and I think that's what probably stands him aside from a number of managers. That mattered to him, although football was his life and he's done brilliantly well with football, obviously managing the national team and being incredibly successful with Watford there were times when he knew that other things in a player's life were equally important like birth of children or if somebody had got illness or death in the family he he absolutely understood and it wasn't football at all costs so the human element was was great that um, he appreciated there were, were there were other things as well as football. However, his determination to win football games and his knowledge of how to do that was incredible. So, as a player, um, just sim- simple messages but effective messages. I, I was playing sort of wide as on the side of the front three. The simple message was on the other side of the pitch, it never crosses the back post without you being there. And if I was stuck out on the other wing and it did, then that would be a time where he wouldn't be too pleased. But I got a, a, a couple of my girls at Watford doing exactly that, arriving just on the back post for a two-year tap-in, where otherwise I might have been 20 yards out of the area. And that, that wasn't just with me, that was with everybody. He would see little bits um, to make those marginal days and... Um, in games and to help improve each person's individual performance. And you mentioned there about his man management, what he was like as a, also with situations off the pitch as well, and that's something I've heard from different people I've spoken to for for the podcast as well. And for you, you I, I was reading, I've seen as well that you you weren't included in, in the squad for the first seven matches during during your start that your career at Watford as well. I mean, some some players in this day and age they might have found that difficult to handle. They might have you know thrown their toys out the plan if they would it didn't have a chat with the manager as well so his man management must have been something that was a massive massive part of, of what made him such a fantastic coach as well yeah and as a young player I, I was keen to make an impact at Watford and I had a good pre-season and I was disappointed not to be in the 14th for the first score, uh, first game um, so that happened for a couple of games and I got my head down played a couple of reserve games did well scored in the reserve games and then um, to the point where I thought, right, I should be playing. The team had, um, had a couple of defeats, and I was like, I play well, I should be playing. So um, I went and knocked on the manager's door. Um, a young player said, when when you signed me, you said that if I deserve to be playing, then I should be playing. Um, he said, fair enough. Um, and he, <laughs> it, it went 
the conversation went well. I wasn't quite sure what to expect, to be honest, but the conversation went well. He stuck to his word. He put me in the first team for the for the away game. Um, I think it was up at Huddersfield um, the next game. And not only put me in the starting eleven, but he put me in the luxury position, sort of in the hole behind the front two. Um, the game didn't go to plan. Uh, I think we got beat to two nil. I didn't have much of a kick and went home very disappointed, thinking I'm not sure if I'm if he's going to pick the game sort of immediately. Um, but I think this was the man management. I think they realised how I'd be feeling, really unhappy with not only my performance but the team performance, and he kept me in for the next game, which was at home to QPR, a bit of a derby, always a big game, and. Uh, um, I, I had a much better performance. We won the game two, I think two in the end, and uh, ended up man of the match. And I stayed in the team from then on. So just that one situation could have, could have. Well, it's a defining moment in my season, really. Mm. And Graham arguably goes well. He goes down without fouls as the greatest manager in Watford history. And that, that team that season as well is, you know, we've seen so many of the games that the Wembley game continues to be played sort of every week on Sky. It seems, and everyone harps back to that team and how much of a, the, the the players in there and the individuals in there and the team spirit in there as well was something that was so fantastic and relatable with supporters as well. What, what do you think made that team? so good and you obviously came in at a time where the club were on the up they'd just been promoted back into the, the second division um, was there a feeling that promotion was a realistic possibility at the start of the season as well? Um, at the start of the season I, 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 I wouldn't say promotion was spoken about I would say that we weren't quite sure how we could be and when when you say what was so great about the team I think, I think there were a number of things one was the balance of the team there were some experienced pros and now in my experience of different clubs the experienced pros are significant in a dressing room depending on their levels of professionalism support for younger players that type of thing and we had some fantastic senior pros in the dressing room i've mentioned alex Chamberlain, nigel gibbs is brilliant just in terms of supporting me and colleagues coming in but they were great players who incredibly professional in the way they went about the business, but also really supportive of new people coming in. Uh, you've got uh, the other person I've been addressing really, Tommy, Paige, uh, again, helped to make the, the dressing room. Just a dynamic in the dressing room. It was exciting. Um, and as we started to improve as a team and sort of find actually find results, it just gathered momentum. And as I say, it, it it was the whole squad, um, some of the younger players coming up from the youth team, some personalities. Clint Easton was a interesting, you know, just a good character around the place. So it made it a fun and enjoyable environment with a really strong work ethic. And as, as I say, at the time, we weren't quite sure how, could we, how good we could be. We knew we've got some talented individuals and also we've got a real talent as a team. But what was, what was the overriding thing was the hunger and desire to be the best we could. And um, you can see with, with the team at the moment, as soon as you had sort of a work rate and a hunger to a team, then performances come with that. And that, that was significant in the, in the promotion season. 
and how important was the partnership between Michael Hyde and Richard Johnson in midfield that season as well? Yeah, they, they were a key part. You have to have a strong sort of uh, central line within the team, starting from the goalkeeper right through to the strikers. And um, Micah and Jono were, for me, the best midfield partnership in the league that season. They complemented each other. Their work rate was fantastic. Um, Jono probably contributed more in terms of goals, but Micah, Micah kept possession, always looking to pass forward as well. So... As an attacking player, you want to make runs because you know that they're going to be looking for that forward pass rather than mm. the safe pass backwards. Um, another, another one to call out, Darren Baisley. I had a fantastic partnership with Darren Baisley on the right side of uh, the pitch. Um, my opinion, probably the most underrated player in that team. He was fantastic talent, good on the ball, good defensively, good going forward. Probably had the best um, crossing ability within the team and we had some some great players you've got Robbo on the left hand side young at the time but beyond his years already um, he's already experienced in terms of number of appearances sort of tenacious in the tackle but again a great personality to have he had a similar partnership with Peter Kennedy on the left hand side of the pitch so we had a number of great partnerships around the pitch Um also helped with myself playing with um, Alan Smart previously, so we understood each other's game and we look forward to playing together. And you, everyone remembers your goal against Bolton, but there was another fantastic goal you scored that season as well against QPR as well. That wasn't too bad, was it? No, yeah. I, I think with the QPR goal, I, I've only ever seen it a couple of times. Because <laughs> like the, the Wembley one that gets played a lot, it doesn't really get really played, and I'm like, I quite like to see it, but... Um, it was, it was something where I, Alec and I had spoken that if there's an opportunity for an early um, an early kick, if he gathered the ball, then I'd always be looking to try and use pace to get in behind the defence. And Alec's distribution, he'd got a real accurate strike. So um, the ball went to Alec. I made the run and um, fortunately he, he pinged the ball out. And I think one of the defenders, I think it might have been um, Danny Maddox, but I don't remember. Um, it just touched the back of his head and bounced up beautifully for me. I hit an angled uh, looping volley over Ludek McCloskey into the far far corner of the goal. Uh, yeah, lovely strike, great goal, and again, always nice to score against QPR. <laughs> uh, what was what was even better? Uh, QPR equalised in that game. What was even better was um, I assisted Tommy Smith with his first senior goal that won the game for us 2-1 in the league so it's always nice to score a great goal but uh, so it's much better if it's part of the winning team mm. and you mentioned Alec Chamberlain there who was so important and arguably without him and the penalty saves against Birmingham wouldn't have even got to the playoff final at the time there and he's someone who's been synonymous with Watford only just left the club really having spent a long time as goalkeeping coach and then been going down to working with the academy goalkeepers as well just just how good was he to, to play with as well yeah Alex's a great friend um when I when I was playing at Watford he was traveling in from Northampton I was traveling in from Milton Keynes and we share a lift. Sean Dyche joined us later on, but um, 
yeah, it, it was a great player, great professional, uh, fantastic attitude. He's one of the only goalkeepers I've, I've come across who actually enjoys running. So in the long distance running, Alec could be one of the front groups. The keepers are normally hating that type of stuff, but he was he was he was fit, and that's why he was able to um, sort of have such a long and fantastic playing career. But then. His professionalism, I was no surprise to see him going to coaching and supporting um, the goalkeepers. Um, just, just a really good guy, very balanced, um, yeah, really level-headed, um, loves football and loves being part of it. And again, great for the team, just a, a really a really popular guy within the team. You you weren't on the pitch to, for the penalty shootout as well. Were you like fans just just watching it through your through your fingernails? Yeah, so I think we we practiced the penalties. Um, and that was part of Graham's meticulous preparation um, for the games. We practiced penalties, walking up from the halfway line with the rest of the squad, trying to take the mickey out of you, put as much pressure on you. And um, I, I was. Always keen to take a penalty, although the rest of the team would be like joking that I wouldn't ever be needed because I'd have been taken off by then. Because regularly, Graham would be like taking me off in the last bit of the game when I'd run as much as I could, was totally naked. Um, so I was on the sidelines, I've seen pictures sent through, I'm looking to the playing, I'm looking through different figures, just having confidence in the boys, just hopes that they can. Um, do their jobs effectively. Um, some of the penalties were great. Some were quite fortunate. Um, <laughs> as with any penalty shootout, there's always somebody who, um, unfortunately, um, has to sort of be the, the villain, really. And Alec made a good save from Chris Holland. And um, we, we were going to Wembley, which was a great feeling. And I read as well before we come on to the Wembley goal as well that had you maybe been a little bit more honest that you you might not have uh, you might not have played in the final as well. No, yeah, but um, yeah, it's it, it's one I've only recently spoke about to be fair. But in the in the build up uh, following following the normal season, obviously all the clubs go on their winter break because we go into the playoffs. We carry on trading and during one of those training sessions after the Birmingham game, just um, a normal small-sided game, I went to strike a ball and Mike had just clipped me from behind, um, so it meant I took an air, uh, air shot rather than so I totally missed the ball and just the force that I was trying to strike it with just felt something pull in my groin and pelvis area and I was like, oh no, like what's this? So um, just working out how bad it was, carried on the session and then it was sore afterwards, so I treated it myself with some ice and then a bit later heat treatment, doing my own fitness test and making sure that I could run and sprint and that type of stuff. And I found that it wasn't impairing my performance, although it was painful. So I had painkillers, anti-inflammatories, different things, just to make sure it wasn't going to um, have a negative impact on my performance. And... Um, fortunately, I was able to get to the game. Um, after the game, I, I got it assessed, and I'd actually had a piece of bone pulled off my pelvis. Um, it's called an abortion fracture, but it's where a tendon pulls a piece of bone off the pelvis. So 
Um, I think if that had been diagnosed before the game, I'd have probably been six weeks of rest and not doing anything. But fortunately, that happened after I was able to get that sorted afterwards. And you, the goal—I've I've left it off for as much as I can. But the goal—the goal at Wembley—did did you realise at the time when when it hit the back of the net just just what you'd done? And if not, did or was it maybe just after the game when you'd seen all the all the highlights and um, your teammates just telling you how good it was? How, what was your feeling at the time? The feeling at the time, you go into immediate sort of euphoria that you've scored and then I'm running away and I think Robbo tried to end my career with a rugby <laughs> battle around the halfway line. I've then got different people jumping on jumping on me. And so, amazing feeling. Then I knew I'd hit the ball well and I knew it had gone in. And then I think at half-time as we were walking off, um, Clint Easton came over to me and was like, oh, you want to see it? And he he was all about things looking good and style and stuff. And he was like, oh, it looks incredible. And I was like, oh, brilliant. But I wasn't really bothered at the time. Mm. It was more, I'd scored, we were winning the game and we were going in at half time. And then, yeah, afterwards um, in the press conference, I was talking about the goal, but then the coming hours and then coming days saw... Um, the importance, but also, um, yeah, the best goal, the best goal I ever scored in the most important game. So, yeah, incredible feeling. I seem to turn on Sky every week, and I, I never, I never come across a week where it's not doesn't seem to be on in some sort of format as well. So, do you ever get sick of of watching it? Course not. <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, my my six year old daughter does can't realise that you used to have long hair. Like, <laughs> yeah. So um, no, I, it, it's something I'm never tired of watching, talking about. Um, I feel very fortunate to have that in my career. Um, it, yeah, it's it doesn't happen to everybody. So. Um, yeah, it's great to watch, great to chat about and something I'll never forget. And for you to be synonymous with Wembley now and to have arguably one of the best goals to ever been scored there as well, considering all, all the top players that have played there as well, that must be something that is, that is a real proud achievement for you as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice just when there's different polls and things about sort of best goals scored at Wembley or best Wembley, uh, best Watford goals. It's nice to see that that's remembered so um especially with it being the national stadium i think i think it was the second to last game played at the the old wembley so um i think england played germany in a international following that but it was the second to last game so um yeah every child's dream is wants to be a footballer is or was to score at wembley and um i feel very fortunate lucky and um that happened and yeah fantastic and you you mentioned at the start when we spoke about how your career kind of went from hero to zero of how it went with with the injuries just how just how difficult was it having to having to make that decision to to call time on your career at at, at such a fairly young age as well yeah calling time on the career wasn't a difficult decision i'd say it was the three years prior to that Mm. of I'd be the first in the training ground. I'd have a um, session with the physio, doing manipulations, getting my knee working. I'd then do a, a weight session. I'd do 
sometimes joining with training with the, with the team, but I was just never able to get to 100%. And unfortunately, uh, professional football, particularly Premier League, you can't you can't get by at less than that. So um, I didn't get full flexion or extension on the knee. I was struggling to keep uh, muscle on on the leg. Just wasn't as strong. So I just wasn't able to sprint and. That was a really tough time because although you've got you've got lots of people really supporting you and hoping that you can uh, get back. So my family in particular, but then people associated with the club, all of the supporters were incredible. Every time I would come to a game, they'd be, "Oh, when are you going to be back? We can't wait to see you." I'd always had a a really great relationship with the supporters, and still do now when I go back to the club, and um, I thank them very much for for the support they gave me through all my time at Watford, but in particular when I was injured, because um, the messages of support were incredible. Um, when I finally did decide to retire, it, the decision was made for me because my knee couldn't couldn't recover. Mm. Um, but just going back to the fans, I got hundreds and hundreds of letters and emails of just, thank you, hope you're okay, and it, it overwhelming with how much support I did get from the Watford fans. And you mentioned the weeks after that retirement, missing the camaraderie around the dressing room and not quite knowing what to do with yourself afterwards with, you know, you used to be around the club and, you know, not being able to kick a ball anymore. The whole weeks after that and missing the camaraderie and the whole support around the place must have been really difficult for you to to come to terms with as well. Yeah, that's a massive part of football. Um, not only are you lucky enough to be doing your hobby as your job, um, it's that every every day you go in and you're looking forward to work because it's it's the dressing room banter, it's having fun with your mates and playing football, which you've wanted to do since you've been a little boy. So it's it's living your dream. Um, it is difficult because suddenly that stops, and I know a number of players really struggle with coming to terms with life after football. Um, I stayed in touch with some of the players. It, it doesn't it doesn't recreate the experience and it is something I miss. Um, a few years later, I, I started playing cricket again just to get that dressing room, dressing room sort of banter feeling. And I, I still enjoy playing cricket locally now. So it is a great part of football, the, the whole situation of the dressing room being around a club and sort of taking the mickey out of each other on a daily basis which um yeah was certainly prevalent at Watford and finally um what's your thoughts on, on the current team who have been simply revitalized under Nigel Pearson and what would you think a, a realistic target is for Watford over the next few years um, over the next few years, it's really difficult to assess because a lot of that will depend on finance and um, investment in developing the squad. Mm. I think the first thing you need to say is the manager has come in and done an absolutely incredible job because um, up until him being appointed, um, it was looking almost certain that relegation was on the card. Mm. Just with the way he's handled himself, but then got togetherness within the team you you see difference not only on the pitch but the way the players are speaking about the manager about the togetherness within the team and for Nigel Pearson and his team to to be able to do that in such a short period is incredible um 
The results have been fantastic. There's now thought the Man United result was significant, mm. but that started to give the belief and the momentum. And now it's feeling right around the team, the club, the supporters, but all in football that actually the Watford team are looking to get mid-table rather than avoid relegation. And I think to do that in such a short period of time has been incredible by the manager. So that was my interview with Nick Wright, who I thought spoke really, really well about how difficult it was for him in the, in the years after that uh, win, the win over Bolton and the crippling injuries that followed. If you haven't followed him already, Nick is on Twitter, so feel free to find him on at Nick Wright 11. Uh, as he's someone who still watches the Hornets, I, I know he saw that game, the game against Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I know how much he, he really enjoys the, the Watford fans and the warmth they still hold him. So feel free to give him a follow and send him any messages because I'm sure he'll be really happy to receive them. Um, please do like, share and subscribe this podcast. And you can find us on social media at Twitter at Vicarage Road Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter as well at Bradley Hayden, H-A-Y-D-E-N 11. Um, if, and if you want to send us any suggestions for any further guests that you'd like to see on the podcast, feel free to send us a tweet on at Vicarage Road Pod or, or at Bradley Hayden 11 or you can send me uh, an email on a trip down Vicarage Road at gmail.com you can also find the podcast on SoundCloud iTunes Aidcast and Podfollow for you to listen to at your own pleasure so please do like share and subscribe thanks so much for tuning in once again and I'll hopefully be back very soon with another episode with a Watford legend take care and see you soon <laughs>